All right, folks, welcome back to the Not Funny Guys present Why Exploring the Philosophy, Rhetoric, and Cultural Impact of the MCU. I am your host, Dr. John, and I'm joined here by one of my best friends, Eric, who knows some, but not a lot about philosophy. I mean, some. some. Okay. Rhetoric? What is that word? Rhetoric. What is that word? Rhetoric. What is that word? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. How about combo culture? Comic books, right? Yeah, I mean, well, no, the, the movies, movies. <laughs> the movies, the movies. <laughs> which folks is why he's here to talk to me. So this pod is an extension of our main pod. The not funny guys presents off the reels where we explore the films. And here we will like to explore some of the ideas and the characters a little bit more, have a little vigorous debate. And we start by asking the question, why? Why? So we made it to episode 10 of this mini podcast. And in this one, we're talking about the journey into the psychedelic opening your third eye and Dr. Strange and fatherhood as it comes to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I mean, based on that, could we say that this is a microdose episode? Yes, a little <laughs> bit. Very much so, in the, in the spirit of uh, April 20th. <laughs> All right, so let's start by talking about some characters as we know them from the comic books. We've met them in the movies, but let's talk about where they come from in the comic books. And let's start with Dr. Stephen Strange, who first appeared in Strange Tales number 110, in 1963 he is actually dan lee does not actually have official credit in the creation of the character he did write the character but the character is originally created and conceived by steve ditko the artist okay um he is of course the sorcerer supreme of earth which we kind of get to that at the end of the first movie he was originally this is this is by the way this is spot on so we can was assume it, that he's a art generated character, right? The art came first. Like, all right, we yeah, the idea, the concept, the, idea. the artistic concept of the character came first. Yes, okay, I think so. Okay. Was originally a brilliant but egotistical neurosurgeon whose hands were damaged in a car accident that humbles him. Does that sound familiar? It, it does. Funny. He leaves and becomes under the tutelage of the ancient one, and he eventually acquires the powerful eye of Agamotto which in the movies has the Infinity Stone, but not so in the comic, and the Cloak of Levitation. He resides at 117A Bleecker Street, Greenwich Village, Manhattan, in his Sanctum Centorum. Have we seen if that's the address there? Yes, they do. I think they, they do, do that in the... It? They do... No, they didn't reference in the movie. I think the maybe the first time... We may have seen it in the movie, but I know the first time I remember it specifically was in Thor Ragnarok, actually. Because it's a little calling card he drops when he... Uh, makes loki fall for 30 minutes oh, okay we'll be getting to that one folks next this next week yeah i'm about to watch that soon yeah so um and we also have baron mordo baron mordo in the comic books is white unfortunately baron carl amadeus mordo Trudel was awesome I, I yeah no, i love that i love that his middle name is amadeus um <laughs> is a common adversary of dr strange in his comic books he was created by stanley and steve gitko and first appeared in strange tales number 111 in 1965 so literally 1963 sorry the right after the next issue he himself is a gifted sorcerer and former student of the ancient one that's pretty close mm -hmm. um he did try though to kill the ancient one and was cast out later ally mm -hmm. allying himself with the demon dormammu okay which is they essentially split off that part of his character. Yes, they kind of gave it to Caecilius. Yes. Yeah. Um, the ancient one appeared in the same first issue with Doctor Strange. So it was Strange Tales number one ten in nineteen. Because even Caecilius was a former student. I just remembered. yes. Yeah. Um, created by Stanley and Steve Ditko, he was born in Carmitage, hidden in the Himalayas five hundred years ago. He had a friend by the name of Kalu, uh, 
basically both of them discovered magic, but they both disagreed with what to do with it. Um, the ancient one wanted to like enhance and protect their city. He wanted to do more powerful things. And so they kind of had a falling out. He would go on, of course, to train Dr. Strange, who then replaced him as the support sorcerer Supreme. Hmm. So pretty close. I mean, is do you, I, I don't know if this is too off the off the path here, but is that a big arc in the comic books? The training and, and I think it's more of like come? a flashback. I think that's pretty much more of a flashback thing that I think that gets told later. So basically, when we meet Strange, he's already at the end of this movie that we just watched. Essentially, like we, the character, we got a backstory that was there, but like yes, we had a we just got in a, we, an arc that yes. never quite existed in the comics. No, we we had sort of an amalgamation of other things, which is what most of the movies do anyway, at least the good ones. Sure. My opinion. So uh, Dormammu, of course, first appeared in Strange Tales number 126 in 1964, created by, again by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. He is the brother of the super villainous who goes by the name of Umar, who is another Doctor Strange adversary. And he is uncle to the superheroine Clea, Doctor Strange's future wife, who we will meet in the second Doctor Strange film. She's in the Intex. And he, of course, he rules the Dark Dimension. Was that who's that who's that woman? Um Cleos. That was um what's her name? Uh yeah, Charlie Theron's character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So we'll get to her eventually. So don't okay. worry. More more to come. Yeah, TBD. Yes. So now turning our turn to some of the uh characters from the Guardians of the Galaxy, I want to talk about Ego, Aisha, the Sovereign, and Mantis. And so Ego, of course. Uh, or rather, as he's known, Ego, the Living Planets, first appeared in The Mighty Thor, number 132, in 1966. He was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Um, that same issue was actually mostly just a cameo appearance. His real first appearance was in the next issue. Um, Kirby uh, apparently was the main person who crafted Ego as a way to explore his fascination with the expanse of the universe. Kirby himself in 1969 said that Ego was meant to be a, quote alive a planet that was intelligent somewhere the universe becomes dense and it turns to liquid and that liquid there is a giant multiple virus and if it remained isolated for millions and millions of years it would begin to evolve itself and begin to think that's literally his reasoning if you told me that jack kirby did experimental drugs like lsd i'd believe you. that man had such a such an amazing mind though the things he came up with was just fascinating um of course in issue number 228 of thor ego once uh told thor that his existence was the result of a scientist merging with a planet when that planet's sun went nova that's apparently what he told thor at some point very very similar but different from what we see in the films. Now, interestingly enough, Aisha is a very strange character. That is not her original name. She was known originally as Paragon, and then it also went by the title Her, and also by the name Kismet. Explain Aisha again. because yeah, This is the leader of the Sovereign. The leader of the Sovereign. There's High Priestess. Uh, she the, actually the originally lady. has no connection to them the in the comic lady. book. Yes. Yeah. She has no actual connection to them in the comic books, actually. Um, she actually was formed. She has a connection to Adam Strange, though. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, Adam Warlock. Adam Warlock. Yes. She first appeared in Fantastic Four number three, uh, volume Not three, Wizard number 11. Strange, Adam Warlock. No, no. <laughs> she first appeared in, in Fantastic Four volume three, number 11 in 1998. So she's a recent character. 
The character was a cri- originally created, though, previously. This is her form as Aisha first appeared. Her earlier form, she was actually originally created by Lynn Wein, David Kraft, and Herb Trebe. Um, originally, she this was she was what was a second attempt by what was called the Enclave to artificially create a super powerful being at their Citadel of Science or the Beehive. There, she was the second attempt. Their first attempt was actually Adam Warlock. So interesting connection. Now, here's the thing about the Sovereign. They're not really a thing in the comic books. They actually appear to be a sort of misreinterpretation of what was known as the Enclave from Marvel comic books. The Enclave first appeared in Fantastic Four in 1966. I'm sorry, 66 in 1967, created by Stanley and Jack Kirby. In the comic books, they are a fictional organization made up of dictatorial minded scientists bent on creating a benevolent world dictatorship on Earth. So they're not even spacefaring creatures, but this little benevolent dictator thing kind of sounds like their jibe. Yeah. Um, it was made up of brilliant scientists. And then, of course, they eventually, at one point, apparently used Deviant technology which if we will get to that with the eternals to advance their creations and were responsible for creating both Adam Morlock and Aisha so interesting yeah. deviation there yeah. they sort of blended the character of Aisha together with the enclave and then made the enclave the sovereign and put them in space so all right now mantis was created by Steve Englehart and Don Heck and first appeared in the Avengers number 112 in 1973 in the comic book she is a of a Vietnamese heritage I think half German half Vietnamese uh at one point she was kidnapped by the Kree who believed that she was the celestial Madonna it was the name of an entire saga where apparently this is supposedly the most important person in the universe and with the Kree, she gained powers very similar to what they did with um, Captain Marvel in the in the movies. Um, she's a keen martial artist. She has regenerative powers. She can shoot energy projections, astral projection, and many more. Different so she's powers. Not just an empath, so to speak. Is she no, even there's an a lot. Empath? I think she does have some sort of empathic oh. powers, but there's like there was a list, and I was like, I'm not listening. To this. <laughs> Just that's just she's a, got was, a list of powers. We, we we want to give a flavor of the comic book stuff, which is oftentimes way stranger sure, than sure. the the yeah, um, yeah, shall we yeah. say the movies. Now, I think that interesting here is that when we think about the MCU versions of this, what we have with Doctor Strange is a person who's very much in transition in his life. Well, that's part of his story arc, which is when in a lot of ways we're catching him in the early development. Um, that way we like in a true origin story here where we get him before and after, sort of the way we got Iron Man. Um, the ancient one, interestingly enough, in this version of the MCU version, seems to basically collect powerful allies, but does so by kind of lying to them rather than telling them the truth, which seemed to be a major point of contention about people. She sort of seemed to like recruit people into her like noble cause, but didn't share the truth with them. Yeah. Um, also, she's Caucasian and not Asian. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, in the Guardians, we have a big dealing with daddy issues. So let's start by talking about Dr. Strange. And one of the things I thought was fascinating about Dr. Strange is it made me think back to Thor. And it made me think about when he's talking to Jane Foster and he says, your ancestors called it magic, but you call it science. I come from a land where they are one in the same. And I thought that was very fascinating. Um, I've always found that that line to be something intriguing to me. And so what I thought about was that it's interesting to ponder this in light of what happens in Doctor Strange, where a man of science comes to the practice form to a form of magic. He does so by study and practice. There are um, 
you know, sort of crossovers between the science and magic for him. Strangely, for Dr. Strange, of all people, hey. it's been noted by philosophers that in many ways science tries to make magic real. So I thought that was a fascinating note there. So consider the list. I want to run by this. I want to run you by this list here. This yeah. is a list of magical feats that were accomplished by science. One, flying. We do fly with yeah, machines or wings attached to us. AK yeah, we're Colin. getting we're getting more and more personal about flying too. Exactly. Like in terms of jetpacks. Yeah. Stuff. Flying to outer space. Yeah. We put yeah. men on the moon. Um, seeing what is invisible to the eye through our instruments, MRI machines, Biology. X-rays. Yeah. yeah. Germs. Invis you know, the use of radiation, ultraviolet radio waves. Communicating Adams. at a distance through radio, phone, yeah. cell phones, yeah. blogs, the internet. Ooh. Seeing at a distance with a TV or video phoning, we can actually oh, see beyond the reach of our eye. Oh, well, yeah. You know, awesome. you could FaceTime me right now, walk outside, and I could see what was outside your house, and I'm not even there. That's but true. I could see it. Um, we have the ability to fight disease through, you know, vaccines and things like that. Destruction. Think about what we can do. Think about Oppenheimer what we are now capable of doing in the 20th century. So these are all just things that if you think about it from a primitive standpoint of view, these are feats of what most people would consider magic that are science. Okay. So now let's talk a little okay. bit about the guardians. And I just want to quickly touch on this and then we'll discuss both. Sure. So interesting thing about guardians. I was, I was really pondering the fact that recently I discovered this idea. And I think maybe something about James Gunn noted about how the first movie has something to do with the idea of, mothers and the second movie is obviously about fathers and the third movie is kind of about i don't remember what he said about the the third movie exactly but there was kind of some things he was dealing with and so when i was thinking more about guardians of the galaxy i thought about the the idea of the father's son and i was thinking about this along the lines of a greek tragedy so let's touch we'll talk a little theater here i know you've got some experience there so and, and now we've got the greek, greek tragedy but with a twist a son that kills his father because of his mother. So in the Marvel adaptation, Peter Quill kills his father, Ego, because he confessed that he had killed his mother and took the opportunity to that he had taken the opportunity to have a child who's half God in order to conquer the entire universe. It has an almost Oedipal type element to it uh, where the human Peter Quill, of course, doesn't marry his mother. Um, you can imagine the audience is not having a fun time with that one. But they took it to the next level where Peter's father was a god. So this even more is a Greek sense that, you know, like Zeus comes down and impregnates a woman kind of vibes. So I'm like 99.9% .9 sure that there is a Greek play out there where a half god essentially goes after his father for the death of his human mother. There probably um, is. I'm not. I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. I'm sure it ends with an Eccles or something like that. Oh like, yeah, please. <laughs> let us know, folks. If you know, let us know. Yeah, um, let us know. We're just like, blanking on, it. but I think that's really interesting to think about that because there is elements of the Greek tragedy. So what I want to think oh, yeah. about oh, here yeah, is I want to talk a little bit about what do we think more about this idea of magic and science and Doctor Strange and its relationship, and in the Guardians, I want us to ponder more about this element of the Greek tragedy hmm. being retold to us in kind of a space opera. So any thoughts, okay. whichever one you want to lean in with first there. Well, let's go with the magic first, because okay. I might I might challenge the Greek stuff a little bit more. Okay. 
Um, so the the magic to you know science to magic or magic yeah. to science rather I guess is I mean let's think of, about the what Thor said. we can even think about what Thor said because in a lot of ways Doctor Strange sure. really brings to the forefront that line what Thor was talking about how your ancestors called it magic you call it science and this idea that somehow they are more alike than different because I don't think most scientists would say what they do is magic but science as we know it today did grow out of ancient techniques of observation along with ideas of alchemy and all kinds of things that kind of swirled together i mean the things we're doing today would have been labeled witchcraft only 100 yes, years or exactly so ago, that's you know? a great point um so so yeah i mean i mean you know casey's not here but he lives very close to or did you know even closer to at one point salem i mean so that's a good example oh yeah i know that's right our friend casey but i mean that's that's a whole different that's a whole different witchcraft chase at that point so maybe i need to i need to steer well, myself i'm going off the reels here so i need to steer myself back in well um, well think about the idea like think about it like this way yeah is that if we were to travel back in time with our scientific instruments that we would be accused of which being wizards yes and and i guess to that end and and to maybe back to the point of magic becomes science right is that magic is a discovery without explanation yes. right um you know a a a power that we've discovered and mm -hmm. so often in in fantasy world we we categorize it as power right we we yeah. show it as a true quote-unquote power you know think of Doctor Strange, of course, with you know, glowing spells around him indicating the power, mm. but it could easily just be something where, all of a sudden, we cured diseases, and it's because we didn't know what this penicillin thing, uh, penicillin thing was, so we had to work backwards to figure that out, right? And so, so you have moments of what we consider standard, like you know elementary school level you know or knowledge at least science where you know oh if you're sick you can get medicine from the doctor that's not that's new no yeah <laughs> you know like things like that so like to that end i think that there is some truth to the idea of magic i don't believe in magicians as they present themselves in las vegas but like i do think that there is an element of quote-unquote magic which is simply to say something that we know occurs mm -hmm. or something that we can make occur even mm -hmm. but we don't necessarily know why right it's a sharing of qualities is what sure. it is i mean ma magic as we know today is more on the line of misdirection and things and i think what we're tapping into is what might be classically considered magic and that it's something mysticism. that is the, the mysticism it's something that's unexplained yeah. and i think it's fascinating when i think about it because here's here's i want to posit two things one sure. Let's I want to quickly posit that the fascinating thing to me is that with Doctor Strange, it's like you take Jane Foster and Thor and then make her go learn magic. Whereas you're taking a man of science and you're making him in a sense think he's going backwards. And when he meets the ancient one and he sees the things she's doing, he actually assumes that she's having or using um outside approval medical devices and things like mm -hmm. that and she's not but it's like he comes to learn that there's really not so much there because then when he learns that it's magic he immediately balks at it as right. being superstitious hocus pocus nonsense right. and then he has to open up and realize that there is there uh, sure. a connection there's a shared relevancy between the two things and that that's one of the things i think he as a character in transition has to realize and letting go of some of his own ego as and realizing well, that 
I think there's a struggle to me with magic, and I think this speaks to a broader cultural view of magic, right? As you know, to the point of what you know, Las Vegas magicians, as I'll keep calling them, I guess, but like your misdirection mis- mm-hmm. magicians, essentially, um, to your uh, illusionists, yeah, to to your mystic arts, if you will, yeah. at that point, you know, to to get into strange realms. Um, I feel as though. There is a common occurrence, and I think that this puts some people off, and I think that this explains a lot of the current science we have being, you know, derivative uh, or being, you know, down the down the chain from once magic, right? Mm-hmm. Which is that so much quote unquote magic, even in movies such as we see in Doctor Strange, it's always tends to be associated with a certain sort amount of religious aspect right mm-hmm. because it's not science because we can't fully explain it end to end it becomes not just magic but also religious also tied to some sort of belief faith. structure yeah faith. faith yeah well and i mean i guess that makes you sense. have faith you, in gotta, science. you gotta believe it can happen yeah. and i guess but i think that that faith is more tied to when you have to be able to manipulate the magic for your own gains okay right so I think like if you just had to believe it, it's just religion, right? At that point. But if you need him turn it into a weapon like Doctor Strange does, then there's a faith, there's a, a belief system. I don't know. There's focused like, thought. Yeah. Focused thought. I, I they talk about that in the film. That... I don't quite understand how it starts differing from religion, but it is, right? It, it yeah, well, it's a religion it's, plus, you know, the, it's the a little more application. <laughs> Somewhere in between. And the yeah. other thing I wanted to posit was this idea that like fascinates me. Um, I teach this with my students. There's a notion called deductive and inductive reasoning. Deductive reasoning is something that we do, I feel, quite naturally and logically as humans. And the idea is that we start from a central point of general information and we work our way down. If you imagine an upside down triangle or a funnel, we're at the top. And as we work our way down, we're looking for that specific point. If you're forming an argument or you're looking for the source of something, you're working your way down from a general starting point to a specific point. And I think that's a very logical approach that humans use. But what's interesting about science and when you're representing science, it is actually what we call inductive reasoning, which is where you have the triangle, the right right side up. And what you do is you start at the bottom with a series of events or experiments. And from them, you then hypothesize a theory. Or a hypothesis. What could, what could happen next? Yeah, you work backwards from what you see before you. And so what the same thing that you would do with science with experiments, you could imagine someone who has no knowledge of these things looking at a series of events and doing the exact same thing. But the hypothesis they come from, come to at the end, wouldn't be anything scientifically connected. It could be something completely disconnected and more aligned with superstition or anything like that. They're engaging the same process, but without the knowledge of the process itself perhaps you know like oh like this woman speaking in tongues oh this other girl is having a fainting spell oh my gosh what could be causing this and they're not looking at this in a deductive way they're thinking about inductively and they hypothesize witches Sure. Okay. Now, now, I see now here's the problem: right? is that you can't that when the but then you go about trying to test that hypothesis. Deductive is do? pretty much science, right? You well, start no, getting rid of the things. Yeah, but then, but then, with the next step was you have to test the problem it. Solving in general. Yeah. yeah, you test the hypothesis to see if it's true. And of course, when they tested to see if people were witches, what do they do? You dunk them in the water and see if they mm-hmm. drown. Yeah. <laughs> Not exactly a great scientific experiment, but again, sure. 
it's sort of interestingly noting that there is this superstition. There are shared elements. And I think that's what I like most about Dr. Strange is, and I think why Casey likes it is it does sort of titillate this little part of our brain, um, you know, of where magic of our want to believe, because we all love magic. Most people generally love the idea of yeah. magic. We yeah. love going to a good magic show. Most people, and there are people who hate it. I get it. Um, well, there are people who hate magicians. I'm not sure there's a ton of people who hate like actual view fooled me magic, you know. Oh, there's a great meme going around of um John Krasinski um playing Mr. Fantastic and of course mm -hmm. Doctor Strange. And it's like when he shows up in the doctor the second movie, he says, We found that the problem in the multiverse is you. You know, and then it cuts to a scene from The Office where John Krasinski was also on, and it has David Spader, uh no Jim, whatever his name is, Spader. James Spader. James, James Spader, right? Set, turning to Dwight and saying, "Why is Jim being so mean to the magician?" It's just a wonderful <laughs> little like. If you know the office, you know the MCU. It's a, it's a funny bit. It's even funnier if you realize that James Spader uh, is the voice of Ultron, so that makes yeah. it even funnier. But let's move on to Guardians. He did a so good I think on office. he did. I I enjoy that. Let's so let's talk about the Greek tragedy. You said you uh, had yeah. some things to say here. Let's go with this. So I I don't know that I agree that the story is 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 a i mean everything is greek derivative so there is some argument to be made that yes this is greek theater at, at some base level but there's also to me like the first thing it kind of feels like is like a like a westerner or like old-timey gangster movie we're definitely right? mixing genres yeah I mean, like, but i mean even when i think of those cliche tropes of you killed my mother right all of a sudden to me that you killed my mother takes it out of the realm of like greek for the most part and turns, I mean, but we always think of Oedipus, right? In terms yeah. of like the like mother, I said, so with a twist, you know, right? Um, I don't know. For some reason, in my head, it just it, the other thing I think is missing. Okay. That maybe I'm wrong, and and I'll be curious your take here. There's no chorus, and that's usually one of the most definitive aspects. True. Of maybe we're doing. Maybe Greek we're more story. Shakespearean here. Maybe we're moved into a more Shakespearean thing because we've got sibling rivalries. We've definitely got things of the epic. Because if you think about them, you know, I was thinking about this just a few minutes ago. The fact that they've come in to defend the batteries from this interdimensional creature screams to me of like Beowulf, and how he arrives at the hall in order to protect them from Grendel. You know that kind of like vibe. There's this epic thing, and then you've got Nebula and. Gamora in this sort of sibling conflict. There's all these kind of like dramatic elements sprinkled throughout. Of course, you got this twist with Peter and his father and they're sort of falling out. I don't know. It's just there's a lot of different elements being merged here. And I just think it's interesting to think that there is a little bit of the Greek tragedy. There's a little bit of Shakespeare. There's a little bit of Beowulf, you right. know, that are being threaded together here. But it's very much playing on this epic idea. I think it's really tuned in, but it doesn't feel like an epic. But it's got very much epic themes going through it, you know, where there is a grand idea that we're saving the galaxy, but that's not necessarily like played up in some sort of grand quest. I mean, the team is highly dysfunctional, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, but it's strange that their dysfunction is actually what makes them work, you know, in a way. The team is also split for a lot of the movie. That is there's true. They also get like, divided up. There's a lot of that almost like Lord of the Rings style fantasy aspect to this. True. Where Let's divide and show everyone's path, and mm -hmm. some of us will come back, and some of us won't. Right? True. Um, the party gets split up, and they get reunited right. at the end. Right, and it is all Disney Marvel culminate. essentially, so yeah. things don't necessarily end as badly as they might for some others. But like, um, but you do still have the villain defeated. I think mm -hmm. 
I, you know, I think you have a sort of Tolkien-esque sort of storytelling in that in that fantasy well, fantasy way. Um, and there you get the even with going even right with there. the and I mean that comes back to the idea of magic because we yes. see Peter Quill having his own true. I am magical after all, right? Sort yeah. of moment. Um, Very true. Which I didn't comment, I think, on the main thing, but man, they they work on getting rid of that real fast, don't they? They're like, oh, we're not going to let this be a thing for for many movies. Nope, you're not a celestial anymore. <laughs> the planet is dead. <laughs> but but I mean, obviously, there. I think the Greek connection is. You're right. I think that there's a flip to the Oedipus story. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me think a little bit of like Shakespeare, though. It makes there's me obviously think of a Hamlet. god element, and and the idea of like God Zeus coming down from the mountain yeah. and having sex with the commoner. There is very right? much that going he's on. a Hercules almost sort of yes. story in that way, or right? Perseus, or any of those yeah. major. So yeah, so there's very much that aspect of kind of the Greek mm-hmm. mythology more so than necessarily the Greek yeah. theater. Um, sort of sort of background i think sure. i don't know that we've actually seen a lot of and now i need to rack my brain i don't know that we've really seen a greek theater in terms of like there's the chorus when it comes well to you get Marvel you, yet. well you know you're in right general. we don't i mean we have it if you think about it we have it in um star wars it's 33 and r2d2 yep and we have it in the um askew verse with jay and silent bob Yes. They are a Greek chorus, my friend. They are. You're right. That's uh, yeah. I can't even use that yeah. one. I used to use that when I was talking about meta commentary with my students. I used to mention the idea of the Greek chorus, and I came to find out that the only way I can make a relevant connection to meta commentary anymore, Jay and Silent Bob, that doesn't work with anything. That's like <laughs> twenty years out of date. Star Wars is even worse. And then I have to literally talk about uh, reality TV when they go to talk to the camera by themselves, right? That's meta commentary. They're commenting on what just happened or what's about to happen. Well, I, mean, and I used to be able to say there's other examples, and now I have to do that. So, yeah. well, to that end, there is a slight potential that we could argue Rocket and Groot are a Greek chorus in the same sort bit. of. So often, your buddy clowns, if you will, yes. in, in the story, often kind of become like a jester where they're telling the truth, but through satire and through yeah. through jokes, and so like. You know, in the King Lear jester sort of idea, where mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's funny, but like it's also bitterly cold and true. Well, that's a, I mean, that's the point of a jester. A jester is the yeah, person, yeah, the one person right? who can tell truth to the king. And so to that end, but I think there's not a ton of reflection, and that's the one thing Fair I enough. think is missing from any Marvel film yet. I think they, the I think course. they intentionally to keep it lighthearted. I think they may have intentionally avoided that. Um, they oh, let yeah, the, they let yeah. they let it be touched upon. So that we can have a podcast like this and talk about it in other details, but at the same time, <laughs> they, did it for us. they didn't. They didn't. They didn't full commit to it. They didn't go, sure. you know, fully into it because that wasn't, I guess, probably the aim of their what they were trying to do. But they they touch on it, I think, is a way, and I think this is one of the success things of a lot of Marvel movies. Is not only do they touch stone on things that are intriguing and interesting to say a comic book fan like me, but they also touch on cultural points or elements of literature and things that can be relatable to large groups of other people that can draw them in and make them feel a sense of like, Oh, this has a familiarity to it. Mm-hmm. Even though it's about a freaking rock, you know, a raccoon in a talking tree, but I get it. You know, <laughs> it, it's that yeah. sense of that familiar that's in there. And those can be found of course, in the themes they use, you know, the dramatic elements that have, you know, regardless of what you're dealing with, you still feel a sense of like you, this seems a little familiar and therefore you keeps your engagement with it as a result. Yeah. And then of course, ultimately, you know, Peter kills his father. 
<laughs> but that's <laughs> not his father. I think that's my favorite part at the end is when Yondu makes that line mm-hmm. about he may have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy. And right. I thought it was profoundly interesting because I think that there's something there to be about the fact that blood relatives don't necessarily become family and that family can be people who genuinely care about you. And that's not always your blood family, you know, because even though his biological father was ego, it's really Yondu who raised him, who was his father figure. And in a lot of ways, I think that's what they speculate about why Craglin has such a strange mixed relationship with him is that in a lot of ways, Craglin is the, uh, the cane to his able, you know, Oh, you always favored him. You always let him off the hook, but I'm the one who's always loyal by your side. It's why he rebels. Oh, against is that the them. Sean Gunn? Yeah, it's that's that's why he rebels against him yeah, in that in yeah. Guardians too. He gets so mad is because he's like that older child who's always following the rules, and then there's the young little prodigal son, exactly, who always goes off and comes back. And there's another trope, the prodigal son element that Peter and Yan Yan do share. That yeah. of course we lose at the end of this film because this is the end of their journey together. So, but I do the think it's it, it does break it does break your heart when Yandu does. Yeah. Oh yeah. But all right, and that let's... that to me has that very Tolkien esque sort yes. of being sacrificed. Yeah, it's like it's like Boromir dying, yeah, you know. Exactly. All oh, that kind of, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right, well, that's good. So, any final thoughts? Good combo. No, I think I mean I think it's interesting that these two topics felt kind of different at first, but they feel extremely connected now. Oh yeah, you talking about the little the the, the little playing ball with Peter thing? I hadn't even thought about. Yeah. You're right. That there's magic right there, right and, in and, some way. And I think that it's interesting, you know, in hindsight to to what we talked about is that Guardians doesn't steep their that magic, but I mean they. They explain it plenty, but mm-hmm. they don't steep it in religion. So I, I may have been thrown no. out by them. Strangely, though, the Sovereign have their own weird science religion thing going on. But yeah. But there is an argument if you said that Ego wants to be, quote unquote, God, not just he does. a God. No, but, no, he wants right? he so, wants to be capital. G. So there's that religion. You're just dealing with the selfish God directly. <laughs> not, not, yes. Not, not you know what you're dealing with? Removed. You're dealing with that guy who they found in Star Trek V in the middle of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Who was claimed to be God, but it was basically Satan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what they that's yeah. what they found. That guy. That guy. Like, what does God need with the starship? <laughs> what does God need? Yeah. It's not my favorite Star Trek. I think Star Trek six and two are my favorites. But yeah, we're not talking about Star Trek. We'll talk about those eventually one day, I'm sure. They but, came uh, in my head though for some of these yeah, good connection. I just want to say excellent connection. I had not even thought about mm-hmm. that, but I'm glad we had this conversation because she pointed out some connections there that were fantastic. So yeah. all right, folks. That was that was a great conversation. So, first of all, comment. Tell us if we got things wrong. Let us know if we completely disagree. <laughs> we want to hear from you. Tell us. What are your yes, thoughts? internet, we're actually telling you, you exactly. give us negative comments. <laughs> we dare you. We absolutely double dog dare you. Go in on, fact, internet. Try in, your best. <laughs> in fact, we're going to tell you how to find us. First of all, you can find us on email at notfunnyguys.offthereels at gmail.com. Email us. We dare you. You can hit us up on Instagram at not underscore funny underscore guys underscore presents and over on Twitter. I'm never going to call it X at not funny guys pod. And I would say the blue sky, but I forgot to oh, write the, it down. The not funny guys. All right. There it is. Not BC, funny guys. Yeah, the the not, not funny guys. guys at blue sky. All right. Yeah. There you go. If you're on blue sky. All right, folks. Until next week, stay strange and keep asking questions. Yeah. Later. <laughs>